Tea. That's great. <laughs> oh, hot chocolate. It's getting hot chocolate. All right. Uh, well, occasionally, uh, before somebody does something drastic to you, does my mic sound a bit funny? Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. All right, I'll just keep going. <laughs> yep, all right. Uh, occasionally, before somebody does something drastic to you, uh, they take you through step by step uh, what's about to happen. Uh, often it's the big mistake of the villain in a superhero movie, uh, like this fella. Uh, they outline their plan, giving the hero just enough time to get away. Uh, a doctor before a surgery might do the same thing. Uh, they take you through the procedure, what's about to happen. They're like, uh, hey there, Mr. Harden, uh, how are things going today? Well, that's great. Uh, first, we're going to put you to sleep, then we'll open up your guts. Uh, then we're going to dig around for a bit, and then Bob's your uncle, you'd be good as new. Uh, I wouldn't agree to that procedure. That doesn't sound like a real doctor to me. Um, but what I'm about to do uh, is give you forewarning about something that I'm going to do to you. Uh, see, at the end of my talk, uh, I'm going to pray the prayer for us uh, that we read in Ephesians earlier. And as a matter of kind of informed consent, uh, I want to go through with you what might happen uh, if this prayer is answered uh, in our church. Uh, what it will look like if God does among us what this prayer asks for. Uh, and Paul, Paul's prayer is this, that God himself would be in us here. That his staggering love would overwhelm us and enchant us and spill out of us in love for others. Uh, so that, that sounds like something you're not really interested in. Sorry, not sorry, I'm going to pray it for you anyway at the end. Uh, so if you've got Bibles with you, uh, open up to Ephesians chapter 3, starting with verse 14. Uh, Paul begins, for this reason. And if we have some detectives in the audience here today, uh, we're not going to let him get away with that. Uh, wait just a minute, Paul. Stop right there, Paul. What reason? What does he mean? Uh, this prayer we're looking at tonight comes at the hinge of the two halves of the book of Ephesians. Uh, the first part of Ephesians is beautiful and encouraging, but pretty nerdy theology. And the second part is super practical. Uh, here's what to do. Uh, what does it all mean in the nitty gritty of everyday life? And I think there's a sense in which he means because of everything I've just said in the book of Ephesians. Because you are chosen, blessed in Jesus, lavished with ridiculous kindness, with grace, taken from death to life and lifted up in Jesus. Because of all of that. And fresh in his mind is what he's just said in chapter 3. Because God has made you a new humanity, together with his people. Because you've been made a new family, all nations, all people, uh, together in one. God has made a new humanity by his grace, and it has untold implications for our lives. So that's why Paul prays, for this reason, because of all that is already true, I pray for you. And if you need more convincing that Paul has in mind this new humanity, uh, the Jews together with all the nations of the world, uh, keep reading in verse 14. Paul begins his prayer by directing it to the Father, in whom all the families in heaven and on earth derive their name. The father of all of us. Paul, who is himself a Jewish man, is like our big brother in the faith, welcoming us in. 
And I think as we pray this prayer in our church, as we pray to the father of all families, the things that divide people outside of the church, outside of this body, outside of this place, won't divide us. Not race, not class, not political party, not public school or private school, not blues or maroons, not the put together, not the broken. All those forces that have been pulling on us to be divided will begin to lose their grip. Uh, and if you have uh, one of these in your pocket, uh, it's not a bar of soap, it's a phone, um, we know that this thing was meant to be our servant. It was meant to connect us to the world, but it's become our master, constantly pulling us into a virtual space. And it's not a place anymore where we connect. Uh, the engineers who, built, who made our social media gave it um, over to contro the control of algorithms with instructions to keep our attention so they could serve us as many ads as possible. And what these algorithms worked out is that the best way to keep people's attention is to divide us, to fill out our feeds with enemies and allies, and to outrage us and foster deep rifts in our society. And that's the world we're living in, even if you don't participate in social media. But more and more, as we pray this prayer, uh, our phones won't have a hold on us. Not here, because we've been made one body, one family in Christ. And what a funny old family we are. And how is this going to happen? Paul continues in verse 16 with just this, uh, this small little request. It's just a small thing that God himself would dwell in you, in all of you, in us. Paul prays that we would be strengthened by God's spirit in our inner being so that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. And maybe that sounds lovely to you. Or maybe it sounds spooky, are our hearts going to be haunted? But I bet for a lot of us, what it sounds like is unlikely. You know, we might want to believe, but if you've grown up in the West, uh, or if you've lived here for a long time, we just don't believe in magic here. And this sounds kind of a lot like magic. Over the last 500 years or so, our society has gone through massive changes, uh, a disenchanting of our world, where we've gone from being a place where the default belief for almost every person was that God existed. And now the default is that we're unsure. And we're built being pulled increasingly towards unbelief. And for those of us who do believe, we fight for it. It's hard. We feel pressured. You know, if you think back, a medieval peasant didn't worry that their child would stop believing in God. An ancient Roman didn't worry that they would stop believing in God. But we do. And it's not just that uh, people used to believe and then they stopped either. There's something about our culture that pulls at us. We replaced religion and spirits and God, not with nothing, but with something. And I don't understand all of that change and why it's happened and why. But, Paul, but uh, the difference between our culture and what Paul, where Paul is speaking uh, is that what Paul has in mind for us needs some explaining for us to grasp. So here's me having a go uh, at explaining how Jesus can be in our hearts, how that could be true for us in 2023. Uh, so you know uh, that when you turn on a light bulb, uh, you flick the switch and you turn on that light bulb. Very simple. But say you walk out of here tonight and after the service, suddenly you want a Coca-Cola. 
You just want that refreshing sugary taste and the, the happiness, the fun uh, that will come with it. And so you go out and you buy a Coke. Uh, your decision, but why did you get that feeling? Coke, the company, has worked very hard so that every day of your life, you'll see their logo. And wherever you look, you'll be reminded of that refreshing, sugary taste. Uh, this isn't an ad for Coke, by the way. Uh, don't go out and buy a Coke after this. But if that happened to you, somebody had an idea, somebody else had an idea, and that idea got inside your head. Nothing spooky, but something outside of you working on you. And we know that there are forces that, out there that work on us in powerful ways. Uh, Paul, in his letter, has talked about these kind of forces. He calls them the powers, the rulers of the kingdom of the air, which might seem kind of far-fetched, but I wonder if the Bible sees something about reality that we don't. Uh, let me give you an example. Uh, did you know that before the world wars, uh, Germany was a vibrant economic and cultural centre? a hub of beautiful art, invention, and human spirit. But we know what happened there in the world wars. We know how dark of a place it became, and how in such a short time did it go from being a blessed and flourishing place to a place where it was regarded as a good and right thing to commit unspeakable atrocities. People, might, people that we might have gotten along with, people like you and I, captured by something that resulted in some of the most despicable acts in the human history. And we might explain that kind of thing with something like group psychology. We might explain it politically or economically. But I think Paul would look at a situation like that and say, are you kidding me? That's spiritual evil. That is powers at work in our world. There were individuals and individual decisions, and no one's excusing what any one person did. But there's something, too, working on us from the outside to achieve more than our individual wrongdoing. And I bring up spiritual evil because I think in this letter, Paul contrasts it with the work of God's spirit, with his power, the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And in verse 16, uh, the power that he prays will strengthen us as his prayer is answered among us. God dwelling in us, not us, but influencing us. Uh, maybe you're familiar with the way that a person can influence you uh, if you're married. Uh, maybe you've seen the way that your spouse does this to you. Uh, I wasn't a very good human being as a bachelor, uh, but when I met Elise, uh, even before she very reluctantly agreed to date me, uh, she began to change me. Suddenly it made sense to wear clean clothes and nice clothes and to eat well uh, and to have parts of my life put together to be confident. And it didn't feel like somebody was doing something to me. I just changed. She didn't even have to tell me to do these things, but her heart and her eye, who she was, began to work on in me. And I know this is true because when she isn't around, if she's away or if I'm by myself, suddenly my cooking becomes all baked beans and cheese and bacon, and I lose the confidence that she gives me. And I think it's something similar when God works in us. His presence changes us. And so as we pray this prayer together, before we know what's happening, God will start to dwell in us. He'll start to do things in us and through us. And from the outside looking in, it's going to look very normal. It's going to look like people doing things for people. But if it's the Holy Spirit at work in our church, if it's God in you and in me, 
suddenly it's not just us at work. When out of the blue, one of you is moved to cook a meal for someone else at our church, uh, that's the Holy Spirit at work. When the person behind you sings so boldly that your heart is warm, that's the Holy Spirit at work. And when you get the hug that you needed, when you're listened to, when somebody trusts and cares enough about you to steer you away from making bad decisions in your life, that's the Holy Spirit at work. When what happens in this place is different to what happens out in the world, uh, that's the Holy Spirit at work in us, through all of us, using our whole lives, every part of our story, for God's good. And so for the most part, the Spirit at work in us looks really normal. But because of his spirit, when people come in contact with us, they'll come in contact with Jesus himself through his body. As God answers this prayer among us, we'll see something outside of us working in us. And we're going to know it's God at work because we know what God is like. A big part of the way, uh, the, the way that God will work in us is that we'll keep reading his word. Uh, the stories, the argument, the poetries that we find in the Bible, even the really weird bits you don't understand, will work on us. Uh, our Bible, stitched together, stitched together over thousands of years uh, by people moved by that same spirit that works in us, will work on us and do a very dull and normal, uh, as we do the very dull and normal thing of reading it. And before you know it, ideas will start to creep off the page and into your heart, and your Bible, more and more, become what influences and shapes your heart as your face, uh, Facebook feed and your newspaper and your next Netflix account fall into the background, fighting fruitlessly to win back your attention. So that's the first thing that might happen to us if we pray this prayer, Christ in you. Uh, and the next thing we read is in verse 17 to 19. Paul continues his prayer, that we may have power in verse 18. And Jesus' vision of power is an upside-down kind of power. It's not a power to crush or control or even to climb mountains or kick your own goals. His power is to strengthen us, but to strengthen us for knowing love. Uh, Paul wants us to grasp and to know and be filled with a love, not a new love. It's a love that his readers already know. And maybe you picked up uh, something strange about Paul's descriptions uh, as we read it together. If you think about what he's asking for, he asks for things that don't really make sense. He gives us word pictures that are a bit puzzling. He wants to trip us up and make us pause for a moment over what he says. And as we do, to bring our minds into the vastness of God's love. Uh, the first one, he imagines us grasping hold of the, to the love of Christ, like an enormous object. But if you studied maths in school, you know an object only has three dimensions. But if you check Paul's working out, uh, he's talking about length, width, height, and depth. Uh, we know that objects have three dimensions, and Paul knows that objects have three dimensions. Uh, he's, not, he's a tent maker by trade, so I don't think he's building four-dimensional tents. Um, but the love he wants us to grasp is big, so big it defies measuring. Uh, imagine trying to grab hold of a vast mountain of diamonds, and as you grab handfuls and armfuls, there's just too much to grab all at once, and it goes on endlessly. God's love is staggering and huge, and Paul wants us to hold on to this love that is too big to hold. And as he goes on, Paul wants us to know this love that surpasses knowledge. 
which again is a contradiction. How can you know something that surpasses knowledge? Uh, this prayer wants us to know a thing too big to know all at once. Uh, and in the Bible, knowing something isn't just having all the facts. There are facts to learn about God's love. But to know something in the Bible is to experience it. Uh, in, in the same way that you can know a song uh, by reading the sheet music or by hearing a beautiful song, you know it. But also you can know a song by singing along with it and having it come out of you. Paul wants us to know and experience God's love like that, never mastering it because there's always more to know. And he goes on to the next image, which again is nonsense. He wants us to be filled up with love, but how much? As much as the fullness of God, which sounds like me to me like too much. Um, I don't know if you ever did that thing as a kid where you try and fill up a cup, not just all the way to the top, but up a little bit more. And as you're putting droplets in, if you put just one droplet too many, the surface tension breaks and the water spills out everywhere. And I reckon being filled to all the, measure, all the fullness of God is like filling that cup all the way to the top so it's just a little bit over full and then just tipping more and more on until it spills out onto the bench and onto the kitchen floor and out your front door into your street and floods everybody's houses. Uh, it's to fill it up till it's overflowing and pouring out to grasp and know and be filled with God's love. That's what Paul asked. Uh, and maybe talk of love, uh, of God's love, is kind of surprising to you. Maybe that's not the God that you know. Uh, maybe you heard that God was always harsh and full of anger and a little bit distant. Maybe you don't know a God with love like that. But Paul does. Our older brother knows the God who loved his people Israel, that saved them, that stuck by them again and again and again, unending, unconditional love, a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, the God of irresponsible love, the God who wouldn't stop loving Israel even when it was too late, when he should have given up, the God who gave up his son for us when we were dead in, our help, in the helplessness of our sin. This love was poured out on us. There's a set of stories that I really love that uh, il illustrates God's love in, the, uh, in one of the Gospels. Uh, it's the story, the, there's three stories, and the first one is the love of, this, of a woman who skips a whole, days of, a whole day of work to turn her whole house upside down to find one precious coin. Uh, this love is the shepherd who loses one sheep and then abandons 99 to go after that one that he lost. This is the love of a gracious father, a father whose son abandons him, takes half of what he owns and wastes it, and spends it on his selfish pursuit of pleasure, so that, uh, and then he ends up with nothing. And the son returns to his father, sure that even his father's anger would be better than where he is. And this is the immeasurable love of God. Before the son can even get close enough to beg for forgiveness, his father runs to him, undignified, arms open, and he embraces him. Undeserved kindness, that is the staggering love of God. Uh, and when, Jesus, uh, when God answers this prayer in your life, he'll take hold of that love and he'll bring you to your knees 
It will turn your life upside down. Uh, people here will do things that make no sense. They'll give up promotions at work to have more time to give to others. Your life will start to, start to be filled not with projects, but with people. Your budget will start to get pushed, not because you keep buying clothes or golf clubs, but because you keep finding new ways to be generous. As God answers this prayer, some of you who could sit very comfortably in retirement um, and having fine dinners and, and cruise holidays will find yourself busier than ever, sticky with glue, uh, helping a toddler who isn't even your grandkid build crafts in kids' church. Uh, enchanted by this love, you're going to lose fights you could have won with your spouse because you care more about uh, you, you because caring for them is more important than being right. As this love takes hold of us, some of you will de devote your life to the forgotten in our world, to the elderly or foster kids or mentally ill people or disabled people. You will pour yourself out for those, to those who cannot offer you anything in return. And for the most part, as this prayer is answered among us, we'll just go about humbly, uh, and, and the love that you show will go unnoticed. But if anyone asks you, uh, if anyone makes the mistake of stopping you and asking you why you're loving in this way, uh, you won't shut up about the staggering love of the God who gave you everything. And I wonder if this is a prayer that you need in your life today. Uh, if love has fallen to the side uh, as you pull along as though intended by some other force? Has your career, your comfort, your goals, your pain, just getting through, become what animates you? I wonder if the life that you meant to live, where love was at the centre, has given way to a different kind of life. I know for me, uh, this is a prayer that I need. Uh, it's, it's hard to, uh, to bring yourself uh, to give a sermon on the immeasurable love of Christ uh, after a day spent fuming uh, about uh, colleagues who can't get anything right at work. And how many of our days are like that? We all have pain in our lives, and pain has the danger of pulling you towards anger and resentment and the hardening of your heart. And at best, you might throw yourself into distraction or projects or entertainment, but at worst, the, the, the wounds of pain fester, and your pain comes out in anger and in hatred towards others. But there's hope for you, and there's hope for me. As Paul prays this prayer, he knows that God can do it. Paul's conviction is that there is hope for you. God can do immeasurably more than all that we ask for and imagine. And he's already at work among us. And so that's the prayer. Uh, you've been forewarned now. Uh, we're going to pray that God would dwell in our church and that his spirit would work among us. We're going to pray, uh, yeah, we're going to pray that his immeasurable love would enchant us. Uh, and so if that sounds like something that you want to happen in your life, just say amen at the end. I'm going to pray for us now. Our Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, we pray for your church here on Tambourine Mountain, that out of your glorious riches, you would strengthen us with power through your spirit in our inner being, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And I pray that each of us, being rooted and established in love, may have power 
together with all God's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church, in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. going to spend uh, just the next few minutes praising God for his, his love. And so this first song, Jackson is, I stand amazed next. 